0: This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. My dear friends, do you know the figure of speech called a hyperbole? It's a purposeful overstatement to make a point. We say, The flu hit me like a ton of bricks. I wasn't crushed by 2,000 two pounds of bricks, but I felt really lousy. I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Well, I, I might have seconds, but not a whole horse. I've told you that a thousand times. Well, probably 10 or 15 times. I'm not counting. But you get the point. And this morning in our scripture from Matthew 18, it might almost seem like Jesus was speaking a hyperbole when he told Peter to forgive 77 times. But you realize it was actually Peter who was making the overstatement? The rabbis of Jesus and Peter's day taught that a believer was required to forgive up to three times. But Peter, knowing his merciful and forgiving Lord, he figured seven would surely be a good number for Jesus. So what a shock when Jesus tells Peter, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And of course, Jesus' point isn't that at the 78th time we stop forgiving. Rather, he knows that Peter and you and I have a lot to learn about forgiveness. I have to confess that, when I received the email from Pastor Bill asking me to preach today, and I saw the theme, I wrote back to him and I said, how did you know that this is a message I really have to preach to myself? Because this is a struggle Jesus knows you have, and every pastor has, and every believer has. Now, I gained a great deal of understanding of Peter, when I read a piece about forgiveness written by a modern Jewish rabbi. And this is how he began it. He said in rabbinic thought the only the offender can set a wrong right. Not the person who sinned against but only the offender. And then he went on to explain ancient rabbinic thought about how you write are wrong. And he said there were three ways that Jewish people think about it. The first one, he's explained, is sort of like a legal pardon in which you acknowledge the guilt of the offender, but forgo the punishment. And he explained it this way. He said, in this process, the offended person is not obliged to grant the offender pardon unless he has first desisted from all abusive activity, second, reformed his character through analysis of sin, remorse, restitution, and confession, and third, actually asked for forgiveness several times. He said the second way to make a wrong right is forgiveness, but this is his understanding. It is reaching a deeper understanding of the sinner, It's not reconciliation or an embracing of the offender. It is simply reaching the conclusion that the offender, too, is human, frail, and deserving of sympathy. And then the third way is atonement, a total wiping away of the sin, which only God can do. Now, we might be tempted to shake our heads at that. But you realize how much you and I share in that very same way of thinking? That forgiveness is not human, it's something only God can do. We even say it, we say, to err is human, to forgive, divine. Forgiveness is beyond us, we're just human, only God can do that. And have you ever struggled to forgive someone who wronged you? because you just couldn't get yourself to feel forgiving? Have you ever had someone try to encourage you to forgive by making, trying to make you sympathize with the person who wronged you? Oh, she didn't mean those words. They get a little crazy when they've had a little too much to drink. That's just what Bob always does. And have you ever sat back holding a grudge simply because you were waiting for that person who hurt you to apologize enough to set the wrong right? How is that working for you? I have to confess that this mercy and forgiveness thing, it ain't working that well for me either. Not if I have to find those feelings of sympathy for the person who betrayed me, Not if I have to wait for them to apologize enough to make up for the loss or the hurt. And that's exactly why Jesus does not separate at all between divine forgiveness and human forgiveness. Not one bit. I mean, he's the one who taught us, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And he was so emphatic, he said, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Is Jesus saying that God can't forgive unforgiveness? No. But he's saying that when we fail to forgive others, we lose our grasp on God's Forgiveness for us. We deserve it, but they don't. Almost like we were praying, forgive us our sins because they're just little ones. Not like those other people who commit those big sins against us. And it's because of all those misconceptions. All those false notions that Jesus taught his parable about the unforgiving servant. This man who owed a debt that was impossible to repay. Jesus literally described it as 10,000 talents. A talent was a weight of precious metal, around 130 pounds. And so if you converted that to the value of, let's say, gold nowadays, this man's debt was around 2.4 billion dollars. Or to the value of silver today, about $484 million. And the Bible often compares our sins and God's forgiveness to debts and credits. Just consider what it says in the Psalms. It says, No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. So the first step to being able to forgive others is to realize that our debt of sin is unpayable, unbearable. And we have to begin by by understanding what that sin actually is. It was our loving Savior, Jesus, who said to God's people, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So anything that we do or fail to do that falls short of perfection is sin. Is that debt? And our debt is the accumulated sins of a lifetime. So let's try a little accounting this morning. What does that debt look like just for today, one day, maybe just this morning? Did you pop out of bed this morning in a great mood, thankful to God in whom we live and move and have our being? Did you have a smile on your face from the very start because you knew his mercies are new every morning? If not, You started the day with the sin of ingratitude. Do you ever let your worries or your aches and pains win out over God's gracious promises? That's the sin of idolatry. Trusting something else, letting something else determine your attitudes and your actions other than God. Children, did you do everything your parents asked you to do today when they asked you to do it? without grumbling or complaining? If not, that's the sin of dishonoring the parents God gave to you. When you were driving to church today, did you see someone driving an especially nice car? Or drive by an especially nice house and think, oh, if I only had that? That's the sin of discontent and coveting. Did you pay attention to every single word we spoke and sang this morning because it's the living and enduring word of God, the only source of your faith and your salvation? If not, you committed the sin of hypocrisy, honoring God with your lips, but not your mind and not your attention. And that's just the start We could go on to the sins of lust, anger, gossip, envy, and keep on counting? Multiply that by the number of hours in a day and the 30,000 days in an average lifetime? I think you get the point. The debt of sin is beyond repayment. So, Jesus said, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. The master had pity. Literally, his heart went out to him because he was so hopelessly lost in debt. In the same way, our Lord's heart went out to us. And there is no other solution to that debt. And so our Lord, because of his great love for us, took our debts, our sins, and laid them on his son the sacrificial lamb of God, and punished him in our place. And you all know this already. The last words Jesus spoke on the cross were, it is finished. Literally, he chose the Greek word that they write on a bill saying, paid in full. No question about it. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? It was truly an ugly, unloving, and thoughtless thing that this servant did, but something you and I can certainly identify with. I make the same mistake every time I receive God's beautiful forgiveness and then promptly forget about it. You make the same mistake when you forget that sin debt accounting that we just did. And please understand that with this parable, Jesus is not saying that forgiving the debt of someone who sinned against us is easy. Jesus said this man owed a silver coin, a denarius, which in Jesus' day was the standard day's wage for a working man. So a hundred silver coins is a hundred days' wages. Today, about $12,000, the price of a, a nice used car. This is not a small debt, but minuscule compared to the debt that this servant had been forgiven of by his master. Minuscule compared to the debt you and I have been forgiven by God. So forgive like God forgives you. That sounds like a hyperbole, too, doesn't it? An overstatement. It is not easy. And so how do we actually do it? I want to share with you just a few helpful hints. First of all, Christian people like you and me often get sidetracked when we're trying to forgive another person Because we forget that forgiveness and trust and friendship are not the same. Forgiveness is given, trust is earned, and so in complete Christian honesty. It is not wrong to say to an abusive spouse, I forgive you but I can't live with you. It's not wrong to say to a less than honest employer, I forgive you, but I can't work for you. It's not wrong in Christian honesty to say to a friend, I forgive you, but I can't take your advice anymore. We can't have a friendship like we used to have and realize, Jesus, the forgiving Savior, he didn't entrust himself to everyone. He didn't entrust himself to everyone's desires and everyone's needs. He chose the needs that were the greatest. Then secondly, realize how God forgave you. He did it with a plan for your salvation. He did it with a decision not to hold your sins against you for Jesus' sake. So remembering God's infinite forgiveness for me, I can make a decision to cancel the debt of the person who has wronged me. I can make a decision to say I won't hold that sin against them. Now, because I'm not God, I might have to make that decision seven times a day, right? Or 77 times a day, perhaps, whenever my own pride and self-righteousness want to go back to that grudge-holding, want to go back to looking for justice only for myself. And then, finally, please remember Jesus' whole point. Joining human forgiveness and divine forgiveness directly together. Jesus loves the one who hurt you no less than he loves you. That's not easy. When we forgive the one who hurt us, they will know a bit of Jesus' forgiveness as well. Even if they don't know Jesus, they'll experience at least a part of his forgiveness. Remember that Jesus' forgiveness didn't look for something in us to make us forgivable. It all depended on his grace and his love. And when we forgive, it will help us know and understand and even feel some of what God felt when he forgave you and me. So let's get rid of that idea To forgive is divine. Our Savior says just the opposite. The gift of the Spirit is forbearance, forgiveness. We forgive as God forgave us. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.